It's Father's Day here in the States and in many other countries around the world. And Inside Music Cast is celebrating the day with Kiki Ebsen and her brand new album project titled Scarecrow Sessions. The album is a tribute to her late father, Buddy Ebsen, who was a well-known actor for his roles in many film and television projects, including his role as the lovable Jed Clampett on the Beverly Hillbillies. Scarecrow Sessions is Kiki's foray into jazz and standards, and is a labor of love in memory of her father. Joining us to chat more about the album is our good friend and past Inside Music Cast guest, Kiki Epson. Hey, Kiki, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Welcome. Hey, you know, it's been uh, nearly three years since you've been a guest on Inside Music Cast, and, and you know, we're glad, certainly glad you're joining us again. And the last time you joined us, uh, you were just about to release your album, The Beauty Inside. So this is kind of perfect timing to have you back on the show because you're about to release another very special album project that was inspired by your late father, Buddy Ebsen. But, um, you know, before we dive into that album itself, let's chat a little bit about your dad and the inspiration to create this new album project called The Scarecrow Sessions. Just a little background, you know, those who are familiar with your father know him as, you know, a famous actor from, you know, his roles as Jed Clampin in the Beverly Hillbillies, Captain January alongside, you know, Shirley Mm -hmm. Temple. He had roles in Barnaby Barnaby Jones Jones, and Davy Crockett, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, and, and many others. So, Give us an idea of what your childhood was like and what was normal for you and your siblings, you know, growing up in a home of a Hollywood actor. Right. Right. Well, let's let's go back to the word normal. <laughs> <laughs> Scratch that. Scratch. I, have, I have that in quotes, by the way. I'm yeah. um, you know, what's funny is that we really grew up. I, th- I thought we were like every every other family. But what did I know? I mean, I had, um, I mean, the youngest, uh, I'm the youngest girl and my brother and I, um, uh, there were seven, you know, kids in the family. Yeah. So we were at the bottom of the line and we lived in, um, we started off in, you know, Beverly Hills on Hutton Drive. And, but it was very much back in the early sixties, you know, it was very family-like, very suburban. It wasn't a real Hollywood, like we didn't feel like we had a real Hollywood type of upbringing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it got even less Hollywood when my father moved the family to Balboa Island right. in 1963 yeah. <laughs> um, to be near his boat because he's an avid sailor. So we just were very, it, it seemed very normal. The only difference would be that there was a, a high a degree of, of um, creativity in the family. My mother is an actress. She had a community theater. And so we were all involved in, in theater. And my dad, you know, being an actor, you know, we were exposed to his celebrity, which was an odd thing because it has nothing to do with being creative, actually. <laughs> celebrity is kind of a strange thing that comes along uh, every so often with a with somebody who's lucky enough to enter into that spotlight. But there yeah. are so many creative people out there that aren't famous and are exquisitely um, creative in, in, in their, in their output pourings of art yeah so um i felt like we were encouraged to be artists and not to be famous Mm -hmm. in fact i didn't want to be famous i didn't like (laughs) what went along with fame you know the the constant you know uh, people just wanting to be i mean i watched my dad you know just uh, i mean all my whole upbringing was people you know surrounding him in awe and trying to get his autograph and trying to touch him and there were these mobs of people mm-hmm. in certain places and it was frightening actually as a child yeah. to watch that amount of energy so manic in a way like like it was just like you were so important because yeah. you are somebody you see on the television or, or whatever it is that it repelled me so <laughs> in a way you know so yeah Eddie and I don't get any of that with the music cast. No, I mean, no, you know. No, no, not at all. <laughs> 
We're the we're the anti celebrity, no doubt. <laughs> it's because I mean, if we had a video cast, it'd be different. That's true. <laughs> this is all audio, so they don't know how handsome we really yeah. are, <laughs> and that we do the show in our pajamas. Exactly. That's <laughs> ideal. <laughs> so I was just curious, you know, with, with that being said, tell me about uh, you know your father. I mean, he he obviously did he handle the fame very well. I mean, was that uh, was it comfortable for him? I think it was extremely comfortable for him. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that. He really wanted mm-hmm. to be an entertainer. Um, I don't think he, I think he, he just wanted to work, you know, he wanted to work as an actor and as a dancer and, uh, and well, he, he came to New York as a dancer and right. but they all had to sing and, you know, dance and do that, that whole thing. And I don't think he thought about the fame as much as he thought about, I need to work. I need to help my family. I need, um, I need to support myself and I want to do it you know, with what I do. So he struggled, he worked super hard. And that was part of the journey for me that was really fun to follow. Because, you know, you hear that growing up, my, you know, being at the end of the line, my dad was over 50 when I was born. So I didn't really know him super well, especially as a young man. Yeah. So I had to explore his auto, you know, looking back, reading his autobiography again, um, you know, just researching all these, his his journey Mm -hmm. helped me understand the type of person that it takes to leave your family behind and drop out, you know, I don't know, he dropped out of medical school basically um, to go to New York. I mean, the family ran out of money. They couldn't keep him in school. So he just, you know, went to New York with $26 and he got hired on the first day uh, in in the course and fired on the sixth day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. But I just, um, now it, where I'm at in my life, where you know I'm not this, I'm not this rebellious young, uh, you know, young woman. I, I'm like listening, going, "Wow, I wish I'd paid more attention," you know. But you know, <laughs> our our relationship is different now, you know, and it's funny to say because he's passed on. But yeah. just because your parents pass on, it doesn't mean that they're not with you, and yeah. it doesn't mean that they're not inspiring you with the words that they said and the and the experiences they gave you as yeah. a as a young young person. And I think that's something, the message I want to get across with this record is that you can be vibrant in your, in your now, utilizing your past and, and cherish those memories and cherish your parents and their work. And, and not just because they're, you know, not just actors or singers, but whatever your parents brought into your life, you can take that today mm-hmm. and turn it into something beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of an interesting point. We had a guest on the show a while back, maybe a year, year and a half ago. I can't remember when it was, but her name is Michelle Kath Sinclair. And she was t- the daughter of Terry Kath, who was the oh, uh, wow. lead singer of Chicago, as you know. Sure. And um, and uh, she was in the process of creating a, a documentary, a film project. She had found, kind of like you, in the sense that you found this memorabilia in a trunk, uh, you know, from your mother, you know, and you found yeah. some sheet music that kind of inspired you for the Scarecrow Sessions album. She found all these canisters of old uh, Super 8 film that mm-hmm. her father had had shot like during tours uh, when she was when he was out with Chicago, and so she's compiling all of that. And she was very very young when uh, when you know he passed yeah. away, and so she's really learning a lot about her father now through these old right. Super Eight movies that she'd never seen before, and she's creating a documentary about it. So it's I think very it's cool. fabulous. That's so fabulous, and I, I mean, yeah, I felt you know when you find this these memories, I, I haven't even begun to start reading the stacks of letters that he wrote um, to his parents, you know, when he first Mm -hmm. moved there, you know, just talking about how, you know, 
it was a really tiring day and him and Fanny, you know, were really exhausted. Fanny Bryce, you know, were mm-hmm. really exhausted, you know, and it's like his handwriting mm-hmm. of all these incredible, you know, just talking about actors, you know, just uh, they, they were his friends and colleagues and these were his intimate, you know, sort of details of life in, in New York back in the 30s and, and, and the pictures and his songbook from The Wizard of Oz that, that had when he was the scarecrow, right, you know. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's precious. Mm-hmm. Really? Well, is your, your brother's name is Dustin, is that right? Dusty, yeah. I, I read a story about when, when you and your brother were, were young. You, you knew your dad was an actor and was on TV, but you had no idea what channel or, or when he would be yeah. on. Yeah. So you would scan through the channels on the TV trying to find him, but you still weren't <laughs> sure if the person on TV was actually your dad or not. So <laughs> I think on one instance, you and your brother were convinced you found him, but when your mom walked in the room, she informed you that it wasn't your dad, but in fact, it was Lawrence Welk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. <laughs> It's really sad. <laughs> that, that's him. <laughs> what, what does my dad look like? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit frightening. <laughs> when you think about it now, but I mean, we we really, um, you know, when you're first, you know, when you're like one or two years old, I don't really think about my parents. I don't as an identity. Like I just know I'm getting fed, and you know, got a roof over my head. But when you're three or four, and you start to like go, well, what do they look like? And they're not here, but I've seen him on the television before. But he was. Yeah. Had that mustache. I mean, so you knew that he was could look like somebody else. Yeah, yeah, Cause, right. Because Jed Clampett didn't look like my dad. That's right. right. I mean, <laughs> so I figured, well, if he could look like that, he could probably look like this band leader that had talks with the Hungarian accent. <laughs> we were just we were just reaching out to try maybe. To maybe it really was him. Maybe it does. <laughs> <laughs> but the sad thing was the look of. I mean, just the the the. Disgusted, my mother's voice when she says, "That's not your dad." That's not your dad. <laughs> Come on, well. Come on, kids. That's so funny. You know, well, uh, Kiki. You know, in in um, in talking about what Rick just brought up about that trunk uh, of your mom's with that was full with memorabilia. You know, when you um, started this project called Scarecrow Sessions, which is a new project. Um, you know, this is all based on the memories on this, and one of the items that you discovered uh, in the trunk was. I guess some sheet music, right? Well, it was a cassette, mm-hmm. um, and this was actually even in another box that I found. Uh, found even earlier, it was a. Uh, it was a, actually it was a, yeah, it was like a, a cassette of music that he had written, and one of them was a song called "Missing You." Okay, and um, it just uh, it had something. To, I mean, the lyric was really beautiful, and it was very simple, and I thought. At that time, you know, my dad always wanted me to wanted me to sing jazz, and I, you know, pretty much said I want I want to sound like Ann Wilson from Heart. You know, I don't want to. Sing. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not jazzy. <laughs> yes, I, I want to. You know, that's old people's music, and so I thought, well, you know, this song is really beautiful, and he had just passed away, and I I, I sang it at his service, and then I played around with the song a little bit and made it a little more. About my style, it's still a jazz, basically a jazz standard, and I recorded it. And it's every time I play it, I feel close to him. And also, people just get really they, they start to resonate with it in their own lives and start to think about people that they've missed. And mm-hmm. you know, I think music connects you past and present. It really does in a really magical way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you found this cassette, tell us about what you were feeling at that moment because you'd never heard. Had you heard this before? I, I I had not heard it, and and if I had, I wouldn't recognize it because the the um, original that he wrote is not is is a bit the the productions. I mean the 
stylistically, it's a little different yeah. than, than the way I did it. Right. Um, so, you know, I've heard varying stories of who it was written, you know, about, and I, what I understand it was for his, for a musical, um, that didn't make, it didn't make the musical got cut. I see. And, um, so then I heard it was, it was inspired, might've been inspired by his current widow, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so I'm not, I, and it doesn't really matter. I mean, the message is beautiful and it's, you know, when I sing it, obviously I'm, I'm singing to him mm -hmm. and when people hear it, they just start thinking about their, you know, their loved ones, you know. Well, Kiki, Eddie, uh, let's pause for a minute and let's check out this song, Missing You, from Kiki's new album, Scarecrow Sessions. Missing you when shadows Funds for this project were raised through uh, a Kickstarter project. And tell us why you chose to go this route with Kickstarter. I mean, you know, since you raised the funds for the project, it seems to have been, you know, it was a pretty positive experience, right? Yeah, there, it was very positive. It was, um, it was daunting. I, I, 
I did it for a couple of reasons. And we, we set a pretty modest goal for Kickstarter because we wanted to be successful. Kickstarter is all or nothing. You have to raise all right. the things or you don't get it. So yep. it, it covered a little under half of the, half of the cost of making this record. Yeah. Um, but it, I'm glad we did it. For one thing, it got people involved from the beginning. It it started the idea so that people could. I knew that of all the projects I'd ever done, this one would you know connect to people who were fans of my dad, fans of mine, and 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 understand got into the idea of the daughter creating this you know project to honor her father and and explore his life and mm-hmm. and give new a new breath to these songs that he was connected to. So I found a lot of support that way. And it was really fun to update people along the way with the, with with video and pictures and blogging, and their feedback coming back kind of helped fan the flame of the project. So I didn't feel like it was just me going out there to do it. I had this whole support group network of people who got in from the very beginning, mm-hmm. and then you know to create the rewards i wanted them to be very personal so i t- i gave people polaroids signed polaroids from the studio right. you know sessions of course they were <laughs> so hard to part with i honestly was thinking how i could get around not giving them away <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wondered about that too <laughs> cuz they become polaroids i have, first of all trying to find polaroid film these days right. is very difficult that's true but it's so pers- it's it's th- so three dimensional those those co- pictures when you hold them and they had the life of you know our sessions which were just precious we were you know i had such a great band and i wished i could just go and relive it over and over again yeah it was Mm -hmm. so awesome yeah Yeah. you know all the songs from the the scarecrow sessions kiki are pretty much a collection of a classic songs from your dad's life and career you know everything from the vaudeville scene Mm -hmm. you know we talked about some broadway and some vintage hollywood movies and you know, out of the 11 tracks that you chose, you know, Rick and I were just talking that there must have been a whole slate of potentially of a lot more music that you had to sort of whittle down that may have been, um, you know, you know, yes. considered also. How did you um, do that? How did you do that process of, of whittling it down to these tunes? Well, you know, I, there were some songs that I wanted to do for sure. Um, I wanted to do Laura that was, and Missing You. Laura is my father's um, absolute favorite song, and uh-huh. for as long as I can remember, he's just loved that song. Um, and uh, uh, Missing You, of course, he wrote that song. And then I wanted to do Over the Rainbow, uh, you know, just to honor that whole segment of, of, of him being a part of The Wizard of Oz and the whole traumatic events that caused him to be recast in that movie and and really set, you know, like, again, spread that story and tell people about it because even though a lot of people do know it, there's a lot of people who still don't. Um, then we added um, If I Only Had a Brain. At Sort of during the, pro- the process, I came across uh, a Harry Connick Jr. version of, uh, of that song and it's to see him at the piano and it's so beautiful and the lyric just, when it was deconstructed like that, it really hit me uh, on how beautiful the the lyrics are in that song and how bittersweet they are when you break it down. So with the help of my amazing producer, David Mann, who mm-hmm. we have, we'll talk more about. He's just so amazing. Right. Um, he, he helped construct this great um, uh, rendition of that song. It's sort of a, a, a jazz, it's almost a smooth jazz hybrid uh, right. and it's beautiful. 
Um, St. Louis Blues, that song was the first song my dad ever taught me on the piano. And I just remember him sitting there, you know, do-do-do-do-do-do. I mean, I would, he would teach me the little parts of the left hand first and the yeah. right hand and then put them together. And over and over, I practiced and practiced. Had no idea that song was in um, Banjo on My Knee, which was his breakout movie in 1936. I had no idea. That's cool. Look at that. Um, so just little things like that. I tell I'll be honest with you. There is a song. There's a song on there that has nothing to do with my dad's career, but I just love it. And which, I wanted to do it anyway. Which one is that? You don't know what love is. Oh, okay. I wondered about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just figured, hey, uh, I got to do one for me. So yeah, <laughs> that was beautiful. You know, Kiki, you had um, you know, on this on this album, you have a small group of musicians that are contributing, but they're like huge talents. I mean, you have we're talking John Patitucci on bass, Chuck Loeb, um, you know, Henry Hay on piano and organ support, and and Clint uh, Degannon on Degannon. drums, yeah, and of course David Mann, who who we've talked about, he's yeah. he's just an amazing uh, yeah. not not only arranger and composer, but uh, you know, great on sax and flute too. Um, break break down this band a little bit and uh, tell us the roles. Uh, maybe beginning with David. Well, David and I worked with Christopher Cross, and um, uh, way back with uh, the last five years. That's I think I met him about five years ago. Yeah, and um, we became friends. And I'm a big fan of his playing. I just think he's one of the most beautiful uh, lyrical sax players that I you know I've ever heard. And mm -hmm. so um, I was always drawn to his mute, you know, him musically. Mm -hmm. And when I put out the first record, Beauty and you know that Beauty Inside, my last one actually. And he was listening to it, and we were just chatting, and and um, and I remember saying, you know, the next thing I do, I would like to do, I'd really like to do this thing for my dad and this jazz standard project, and I would, it, and it was just a vapor at that time, you know, it was just a little spark of an idea, mm -hmm. and he said, well, you know, I'll help you with that if if you want, and I thought, all oh, right, sure, this is never going to happen, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it he kept on it, like I would have probably not, I I don't know that I would have done it on my own because I this isn't it's a new style for me yeah um not, you know not playing just singing and and just you know singing standards it's intimidating plus it's something my dad wanted me to do so I was nervous about that too it was just all very nerve-wracking but David every time I saw him he'd say hey we, we let's start talking about the project and he finally just on the road made me sing a couple of tracks just acapella and just said I'm not letting you out of here until you sing at least one song. <laughs> oh, that's nice. And then he took it home and he made these beautiful tracks mm -hmm. uh, around them to show me, like, this is what it could sound like. And he just did it himself, programming and playing. And it was so beautiful that I just went, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm just doing it. So we made, the, we had the window this earlier this year, and I knew that this would be, we'd have to do it. We would have to do it yeah. this year. And it's also the 75th anniversary of The Wizard of Oz, which was odd because I was like, there are all these signs that oh, wow. this might be the right thing to do. Right. Like, I guess yeah. you're right because it came out in 39. So, that, yeah, that's right. So, yeah. when you, so when you talked to him, David, and you said, you know, I've got this uh, vapor, if you would, um, of an idea. Um, how long did it take you to share before he really bought onto the process and said, you know, I mean, it seemed as if he was he bought onto it and sort of had to persuade you to, to do something, right? Yeah. I, I had him at hello. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, I think he really, really got it at more than he saw potential probably more than I did. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he saw the potential of my voice. Um, you know, I've, I've always tried to, I, I've, my voice is kind of, you know, it had so, it has so many different 
angles and colors and and characteristics to it and it's all it's always eluded me in some ways like I wasn't quite sure I knew it very well and I think he saw that he could bring out a quality that would be really listenable and and draw people in and mm-hmm. so I just put my faith in him and let him guide me and it was so so totally worth it because he's a great producer mm-hmm. great in every way amazing and the yeah. band come yeah. on jeez i got <laughs> to i got to meet david uh last year when christopher cross came through indianapolis and uh and uh and that was the first time i'd met david and he's just a really genuine mm-hmm. down-to-earth guy really really good guy yeah Hey, you were talking about signs a minute ago, like you said the, the Wizard of Oz is thirty or seventy fifth uh, anniversary, and I was just another one that I was kind of curious about is you sort of stayed true to your dad's roots because you recorded the album on the East Coast. Yeah, you've been on the West Coast forever. So, but the East Coast is where your dad's career began. So, tell us about the the studio where he recorded. Just by chance, did it have any correlation uh, to your dad as well? No, it didn't actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> Fat chance there, Rick. You tried. I that tried. One. I okay, tried. tried. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. It, I, once we decided, I guess I I'm one of those people that once I decide to go for something, I just throw myself into the fire and just you know we're going to do a Kickstarter. I'm going to go uh, to the East Coast. I've never recorded over there. I'm going to pull myself out of my comfort zone so that mm-hmm. I could be really present. Yeah. and not and not fall back on any old routine. And it was terrifying, honestly, because <laughs> I, I I didn't know what I was going to be getting myself into. Uh-huh. Um, David found the studio. It actually it was in New Jersey. It, it was um, okay. in Hapakton. H- H- Hapakton. I think I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> it it was actually charming. I wanted to be really in. I wanted some weather. I wanted snow. I wanted like ferocious weather that I could be inside a studio recording and just really get into all the elements. And of course, the minute I get to New York, it's like, you know, 70 degrees and gorgeous. I'm like, wait a minute, it's February. That sounds horrible. I know. I know. You know, we get sun all the time out here in Southern California. It's, you know, it gets a little boring, you know, but, uh, no, I got some snow in New Jersey, but the, the night we, uh, we went there for two days uh-huh. uh, with our band, and and the studio is on a lake in an old church. Okay, and it was a fantastic studio with great. Uh, our engineer Jeremy was amazing, um, wonderful gear. We isolated everybody and did the whole thing, you know, basically live. And we did all the basics live. I sang live with everybody. That's great. Um, yeah, well, you know, you got John Patitucci and Henry and Clinton. Yeah. Um, I. I Normally, I don't know. Like, I just wanted to be like, I wanted to put on a good showing, you know, for these guys. (laughs) So I I was right. Let's go right from the beginning. I sang like for eight hours. They kept saying, you know, you don't have to sing on this take. I'm like, but it's so fun, and I just want to, you know. So the good thing was, we got most of the vocals in those sessions. um, Yeah, probably eighty percent of the vocals, and then we came back and redid a few things and did some strings and Mm -hmm. all that, but. Yeah, the strings throughout the album were, were beautiful. Wherever they, you know, you had those in, in several songs and they were just really well done. Oh, thank did, That's did, David. Did, did David arrange it? Okay, all right. I was yeah. going to ask. Hey, you know, two of the tracks on Scarecrow Sessions are classics, obviously, from The Wizard of Oz. One, If I Only Had a Brain, and of course, Over the Rainbow. And, and we know the story about how, I think we talked about this the last time uh, you were on the show, but we know the story of how, you know, um, your dad was originally cast for the role of, of the Tin Man, of course, in The Wizard of Oz. But, you know, he had like some sort of a severe reaction to that uh, aluminum dust that they used with the makeup and it landed right. him in the hospital. And 
and it, you know, basically ended his shot at, at the role. Um, how did this, I was just curious, I was thinking, how did this affect your dad from a uh, professional and, and an emotional standpoint, especially knowing, you know, where that movie went on to land in, 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 the, mm-hmm. in the annals of movie history? Well, th- this is the interesting part. I didn't know the story until I was an adult. So, okay. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so he, he clearly, you know, the thing about him is he moved, he moved on. I mean, I'm sure he thought about it. And at the time when you hear, I've heard several interviews, um, you know, when he was older, was he finally talked about it Mm -hmm. Um, and reading his autobiography as well. I mean, he actually was start, he was originally cast as the scarecrow. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And and then and that was uh, then he was bumped to the Tin Woodsman because of Ray Bolger's dance act was uh, more suitable for this role of the Scarecrow. Okay. All right. So so then um, the the makeup, you know, they they dusted his face and hands with uh, aluminum dust, mm-hmm. and over that ten day shooting, you know, schedule, they had to redust him and redust him because the lights would melt the makeup and, you know, he inhaled it and it coated the inside of his lungs like oh, like, pa- like paint, like, yeah. you know, aluminum-based paint. And so he couldn't get oxygen to his blood and he developed this severe cramping and, you know, collapsed and went into the, um, you know, went into the ER. Wow. So, and then, the, 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 and even to add insult to injury, the studio, they didn't believe that he was really sick. Um, they thought he was faking it, you know, at the very beginning. And um, then they kind of punished him by putting him in some, you know, B films and um, wow. for the rest of his, you know, um, journey with MGM. Oh, my gosh. So we didn't hear about it. I mean, he had some pretty tough meetings where people told him to quit. William Morris told him he should quit um, the acting business and that when he moved out to Hollywood after the MGM contract, I mean, he really had to kind of believe in himself quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, even though he didn't act in the film, I believe if it's true, um, can we, we, we can still hear his voice on the song. We're off to see the wizard. Is that inaccurate or is that accurate? No, it's accurate. It okay. is. Um, right. We're off to see the wizard and uh, follow the yellow brick roll. Really? Wow. Um, also, I just ordered it too. I just got it. It's on the Rhino deluxe edition. You can catch his version of "If I Only Had a Heart." Oh, that'll be cool! Oh, cool! Yeah. So, um, and uh, you know, they, you know, my dad feels they probably didn't reshoot the long shots, um, like of them going to the castle at the end of the movie. You know, when they're going, oh, yeah, you know that. Okay. Because why would they reshoot it if they you're not seeing the faces? So. Right. um, Right. Hey guys, let's take a break and uh, let's check out another track from Scarecrow Sessions. This is If I Only Had a Brain, the classic from The Wizard of Oz. From our guest today, Kiki Epson. Any end of 
Well, and you know, out of all the songs um, on this album, most of them have a very nice classic and very elegant feel, except one one sort of track that sort of uh, interests me quite a bit, and it's called Codfish Ball. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very unusual song. How did this uh, dubious track, uh, first of all, how did it end up on the album? And number two, how does that relate to your dad? Oh, well, that's, that's probably the best dance routine ever. It's him and Shirley Temple from Captain January. Uh, okay. okay. All right. do, you, do you remember that? Have you seen that movie? I did, but it, I was a kid. I know I, it's been a long, long time, but I do you, remember you it. Yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's so cute. Oh, that's very nice. So is there a specific song or, or two on the album that conjures some special memories for you, you know, about your dad growing up? Well, I mean, Laura, of course, because I just know he loved the song so very much. Um, T for Two, even though that version yeah. is not the way I would always have heard it. But every time I heard T for Two, I, was, I would look for him to start dancing because that was his signature yeah. dance routine. Anywhere and everywhere we'd go or, or perform together, mm-hmm. he did he did T for two. So that has a great memory for me, definitely. Well, you've got uh, quite a busy summer ahead of you with uh, several concerts scheduled. I think most of them are along the West Coast. Um, but in late August, you're headed out to the UK for a string of concert dates. And I was curious about your shows when you travel, especially when you go overseas. Are, are you performing solo on these gigs or will you have uh, accompaniment? I have a guitar player in Scotland uh, who will be playing with me. Okay. Um, He's sort of a a, a local hero there, mm-hmm. and so the, we'll be we'll be performing as a duo. A lot of my shows, um, if for for the most part, I perform solo because I still have you know I do my my singer songwriter you know thing, mm-hmm. and I'll play you know four or five of the tunes from this record, and then I've got some um, performances with a band which you know which I can I'll play even more mm-hmm. you know more more of the tunes, but I still you know I. I I think it's kind of fun that I'll be able to add these into my already existing original music show. And it also opens me up to guest with other trios in a, in a purely jazz format. Yeah. Um, which I did, I did um, a couple of weeks ago when I played the KSBR bash. It's a radio station in mission Viejo. And I got up and sang comes love with, with the band. And it was just a, a totally different role for me mm-hmm. to, to just, handed over to them and they killed it you know these are like great players and soloists that it's so fun to just sing and let them do their their job which is you know just to bring this music to life with their talent very neat very cool well i hope to actually get down there hopefully uh, maybe even rick i'm gonna invite rick if you if you want to go too with me <laughs> but uh you're gonna be at the bluebird cafe i believe in uh, in nashville oh yeah that's right. I so, am? Oh, so yeah. it's gonna be neat i think we'll, we're gonna try to get out there maybe and, we should go down yeah and hopefully maybe even christopher might show up and say hey or whatever but uh <laughs> hopefully we'll, we'll be out there to see you okay i would love that yeah, that would be great great well, the album is again is the Scarecrow Sessions, and mm-hmm. um, and that's that's available now. Is that correct, Kiki? It is. If you go to kikiepson dot com right now, it's exclusively on my site. Okay, mm-hmm. very good. Well, thanks for uh, spending time with us, and it's great to learn about this album. And uh, we want to wish everyone a happy Father's Day, and and probably a great way to. I mean, this this is your. Father's Day gift uh, to the world, I guess. I guess so too. Sessions, <laughs> and it's, it's a very beautiful project, and and we're uh, excited about it. Thank you so much. You Thanks take, so much, Kiki. You take All care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. Come along and follow me to the bottom of the sea. We'll join in the jamboree at the cutfish ball. Lobsters dancing in a row. 
Shuffle off to Buffalo. Jellyfish sway to and fro at the codfish ball. Finn and Hattie leads the eel through an Irish reel. The catfish is a dancing man, but he can't, can't, can't like a sardine can. Tuna's trucking left and right. Biddle's mooching, what a night. There won't be a hook in sight at the cottage ball. Special thanks to Kiki Ebsen for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Max Zape, Mikhail Ingstrom, Uwe Reith, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, and Mats Unilon for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Like a sardine can Tuna's trucking left and right Meadows mooching, what a night There won't be a hook in sight At the codfish ball There won't be a hook in sight At the codfish ball